Welcome to the Film Coterie Podcast. This is episode number 70. How are you, Adam? I'm good, Roger. It's hard to believe that we've done 70 of these podcasts. Yep, we're finally getting back into the swing of things. January was pretty light. Oh, yes. When it I, came to the movies actually getting released that weren't just 2018 rollouts. And didn't you say also that the box office turnout was pretty low as well, too? Yeah, no, it was low for January. Uh, Glass held the top spot for three weeks. And and that movie's not lighting the box office on fire, so that, that tells, tells you. you all you need to know right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, uh, we've seen Glass, but we're not going to review Glass today. We may mention it in our rapid fire segment at the end, but it has been a couple weeks since we did our uh, best of 2018 episode in in January, and this being end of January, first of February, it's time to get back, like you said, back into the swing, reviewing movies, getting out our uh, our thoughts and. Uh, um, hopefully surviving the Arctic temperatures we've been having. We've had a real swing. We had a polar vortex where everything was frozen, and now we're back to 50s and 60s, so I don't know what's going to happen yeah. in the next couple of days. Who knows? Who knows? Well, what else has been happening, Adam? Anything exciting going on? I'm just glad I'm not Liam Neeson's publicist. Can we talk about this? Yeah, let's talk about this. Uh, Liam has a movie coming out this week called Cold Pursuit. Yet another revenge tale where he's out for revenge and has a special set of skills. Shocker. This, this time he drives a snowplow, so I imagine there'll be a couple <laughs> kills with a snowplow. Anyway, during this press tour, Liam, unprovoked. So, I'm sorry. I forgot. His superpower is the snowplow. <laughs> he's got a snowplow. It's got to figure into He is the getting up there in age. It's he doesn't bad. have to run if he's driving the snowplow. It's pretty bad. He don't have to run if he drives the snowplow. But anyway, go ahead. I interrupted you. Go ahead. Uh, so this is why I don't envy being his publicist. Out of the clear blue, during some interview, he mentioned some revenge. I guess we have to call it a fantasy because it happened years ago when he was younger where something terrible happened to a woman he knew. And she alleged that it was done by a black male. And Liam Neeson said he went out for a week, a week walking up and down the streets looking to get something started and murder someone and get revenge. And it didn't matter if it was even the guy that did it. So now he's on an apology tour, and this may really hurt the movie, although I wasn't tracking that well. But it's just an insane thing to me to bring up this story just during a press junket. Okay, okay, let me stop you right there. First of all, as completely ludicrous as this story is, and terrible as this story is, and why would you would never even share? Why would you even? What positivity could ever come from you sharing this story? First of all, but secondly, this guy does not have a special set of skills. If he was spent a whole week trying to find somebody and couldn't find them, you know, just anybody that he could kill. I think the point of him sharing it in his own mind was maybe that we don't have to act on our revenge, or maybe it was a good thing he didn't do this. But if I was his publicist, I would have grabbed the fire extinguisher and cold cocked him up the back of the head just to get him to yeah. stop. You got to get the hook and pull that dude out of the chair right then and there. They're worried about spoilers leaking, not about these, oh, just a grenade of bad publicity going off. It just goes to show you that um, sometimes you can just open <laughs> mouth and insert foot in a big way. That was just, that's just crazy. Yeah. So I wonder how bad this will hurt him. I don't know. I mean, it's making the rounds now, but the movie's out. I don't. I just don't know that it'll really affect the movie. He's been on a little bit of a downward trend for these revenge tales. He keeps saying he's retiring and this is the last one. 
and yet it's all he makes. Yeah, but they keep backing up those Brinks trucks. Less and less, though. I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't know. That's true. Well, I've had a uh, a run of some uh, Netflix shows I've been watching, some movies, and we'll mention that in our third segment. We're going to uh, do a little rapid fire and catch you up on some quick reviews, a little 10 to 15 second, if I can stay 15 seconds or shorter, <laughs> reviews on some of the movies we've been watching and stuff. But um, I'm I'm just I'm I'm excited about tonight's lineup. We have two 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 good films. I think two films. Family gonna, friendly yeah. edition. We're going to be talking about the Lego Movie, the second part, and then uh, Joe Cornish's follow up to Attack the Block, the kid who would be king. Yep. So we'll call this the family friendly edition of the Film Coterie podcast. All right. Well, I think we should just jump right into our first first movie, the, uh, the Lego Movie. And so let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Film Coterie podcast. We will be right back. Once, everything was awesome. Now, everything is bleak. Hey, Lucy. I brought you coffee. Coffee. The bitter liquid that provides the only semblance of pleasure left in these dark times. Oh, my goshness. Did I interrupt you brooding just now? Times have changed. You need to change with them. We have to be tough and battle ready. Look, a shooting star. Make a wish. <gasps> so bad nothing got in talking about the Lego Movie 2, the second part. This is now actually the fourth Lego Movie. We had the Lego Movie, we had Lego Batman, we had Ninjago, and now we're returning to the original characters of Lucy and Emmett and their second adventure out in Lego Movie 2. Yep. I loved the first one, was a huge fan, loved the uh, heartfelt kind of message and just kind of the, the positive you know, uh, feel that it had. And so I was amped up. I was ready for this one, you know, this this uh, screening tonight of the Lego Movie 2. And um, I have to say, I, I will say this, you know, it's hard to beat the first one. It just hit all the right beats. This one, this movie attempted, I liked it, and they definitely know their target audience would be my statement. Because we were in a pretty full house, a lot of things of 30-something parents with younger kids in that 8, 9, 10, 11, you know, maybe I didn't see a lot of real teen. I didn't see very many teenagers there at all, but a lot of younger kids, younger parents, and a lot of the jokes uh, were tailored to the 30-somethings and also to the young kids and a lot of laughter in our theater. A lot of people seemed to really reciprocate the jokes that were being, you know, thrown at them. I thought it was really good initially. I thought it was, you know, I, I kind of enjoyed it. But the relentless pace of the jokes seemed to kind of put me out a little bit, you know. And then there was a couple musical numbers I could have done without. But overall, I'm positive on the film. Okay. 
Um, I've seen these movies. I can't say that I'm a huge fan. They're they're fine. I think they're treading some territory that the Toy Story movies have handled better in terms of growing up and, and, and playing with these toys. And I was a little more disappointed in this movie because I really didn't feel like it added too much new. There weren't any characters. The first one was exciting because it was a little bit like Ready Player One when you saw all these universes get smashed together and the jokes were funny. And I got to say for me in this one, I think Batman's getting a little bit grating. I enjoyed him in the first movie. I liked the Lego Batman movie. Here, he just was getting on my nerves. And yeah. a lot of his material didn't land, I didn't think. And it was, yeah. a, it was a rougher sit for me. It felt long. Like, I would have said yes. this is a two-hour movie, yes. and it's actually 15 minutes shorter than that. Yeah. No, I, I, I think I think your points are very valid, Adam. I um, uh, Like I said, I was really kind of into the film the first, I don't know, 25, 30 minutes, and I enjoyed the pace and the laughter and everything. But then it's like they kept hitting those same beats over and over and over. Um, I did like that it, it turned, had a positive twist at the end. We won't get into all that. And it got into some of the Toy Story uh, territory about growing up and family and relationships within families. Um, and I will I will concede that Toy Story, um, Pixar does this better. Yeah. You know, um, and Toy Story specifically does this better. But I thought it was okay. I mean, abs- I mean, I would absolutely, if I had, if I had friends who were, had younger kids, 10 and under, I would totally recommend they go see this. I think they would enjoy it. Yeah, no, I, I think families are going to enjoy it. There's nothing wrong with it. It just it feels like we're treading some common ground now, and, and nothing feels as new or fresh as it did. And for me, I mean, it'd be interesting to hear some younger points of view on this. I think this movie is excessively talky. There's so much expo- exposition, and it seems like so much just explained instead of yes. shown. There's very little action in the movie. Thinking back, there's no major sequences. It just sort of... Well, I don't know. There's action sequences, but they're like three to five seconds and you're done. And then it's back to Nothing a bunch is played of, up as like a set piece. Right, with, exactly. With then building you're, tension. Then you're back or, to a bunch of exposition and dialogue. So much exposition. And a lot of cameo, funny, pop out. Cameo, funny, pop out, you know. Um Whereas the first movie, you know, stuck with the main character who was trying to fit in in the world. Try, he was he was different. He wasn't just a another drone in the factory system, yeah. you know. Um, and this one, it, it tries to go back to addressing him again to where, you know, unless he grows up, you know. In other words, it was trying to say that those ways are childish. Unless you grow up and get tough and become a real man or whatever, you know. Um, you're never going to succeed in life, and so it tries to address some of those issues, and 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 I applaud him for doing that, but it just, you know, it it it's, it just doesn't it doesn't it didn't just stick the landing that direction, I guess you would say. Um, but but overall, I did, you know, I I think families will like it. There's a lot of good humor. There's even some cameos and callbacks if you're older to some Hollywood stars that are a little aged have aged a little bit, you know. So that was good too. Uh, to get that. And, you know, of course, they break the fourth wall all the time and, you know, that kind of stuff as well. Um, visually, you know, what was your thoughts about it visually, Adam, as far as the effects? and? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to compare because the, the style of animation, it lines up with the rest of the Lego movies. I don't know that there are any major advances here. Um, I'd say it's on par with the rest. Yeah. I was kind of hoping to get a little bit of a, of a smoother transition from Lego world to the real world. Like, I thought they could have polished that a little bit and done something there with special effects to kind of bring that 
but it's just kind of like a fade in and out. And now you're in the, you're in real world, you know, kind of a deal. Um, and some of those same jokes in the first movie were played and they were laughed at in our, our, our screen. I, I would say our audience as a whole were pretty positive, you know, yeah. with the film. No, it was. The audience was receptive to the material. Yeah. Um, other thoughts about the Lego movie? Uh, music. I don't think anything's as catchy as everything is awesome in this movie. They try, they try a few different things. And that's that's kind well, of the point of it too. Let's put it this way: the one song they sing is a song something to the effect of "You're never gonna forget this song once we start singing it." And I I, I I've completely forgotten what yeah. the song the tune of the song. You but know? you didn't forget everything is awesome. But yeah, still I can still yeah, yeah. Five years later, and I'm, everything is awesome. You know. Yeah. So nothing is quite the earworm that was. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. So overall thoughts on the film, grade of the film, where would it land for you? And then where you think it will land with families with small kids? I, I mean, families are going to like it. It's just, uh, I think I'm just a little bit down on it because we just left the same writers, Philip Lord and Chris Miller. We just saw what they did with Spider-Man, which pushed the boundaries of animation, had a lot of interesting storytelling beats. This is just more cookie cutter, safe franchise material. So, I mean, it, it's fine. But I think if, if families are looking for a better story, better experience, they may have better luck with, like, How to Train Your Dragon 3, which is coming this month. Yeah, very, which has been a very series much looking that's, forward to that's, that. That's really done some interesting storytelling. Yeah, I love the original. I, I don't know if I've seen any of the sequels, but I love the original How to Train Your Dragon. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, so I guess I'm a little more positive on it. I think families are going to really enjoy it if you have small kids. You're slightly cooler on it, I think, is kind of our takeaway from it. But overall, I think families will enjoy it, and I would recommend if you have small children, take them to see it. Absolutely. So, Okay, we have another movie, another family movie, The Kid Who Would Be King. Let's listen in to a little bit of The Kid Who Would Be King, and then we'll come back and give you our thoughts. You're listening to The Film Coterie. Alex, you're going to be late. Okay, okay. Tom. Here. Thanks, Mom. A land is only as good as its leaders. Somebody help me! Hey, leave him alone. A true king is brave and noble. Don't be a hero. I'm the king around here. You have more battles yet to fight. But fast as you can go, we've got you now! Now, you must choose... What you stand for. Parents, you've got to see what I found. There's something written on the guard. Put it into Google Translate. It means Sword of Arthur. What if you're the only person who could have pulled that sword out? What if it's Excalibur? Ah, finally. Follow me. I am Merlin. I thought Merlin was supposed to be an old man. An ingenious disguise, don't you think? In four days, the dark sorcerer Morgana will take over the world. Awake, my warriors. And I'm supposed to stop her. That's ridiculous. There's your sword back, and good luck with everything. All right, and we're back, and our next film for today's podcast is The Kid Who Would Be King. Um, and it is, you and I saw that in the theater last week, about a week ago, I think. And um, uh, I was looking forward to this film. Uh, Adam, what for our listeners who may not know what this film was about, this is another family film, but a little bit different than the Lego movie. Um, explain to them, the kid who would be king, what is it about, who directed it? Kind of lay the background for this film. 
So the reason I was in the theater to see this movie is it's directed by Joe Cornish. Uh, Joe Cornish, eight years ago, gave us Attack the Block with John Boyega, and it was just such a fun sci-fi movie with a, a kid angle. Um, he's also worked with uh, Edgar Wright with uh, producing Hot Fuzz. He helped write Ant-Man. He's had a lot of uh, projects in the works, but he's only directed twice, at least features. He's directed Attack the Block and now The Kid Who Would Be King. This is a story, a modern take on Arthur and the Legend of the Sword, you know, Excalibur. And this is the movie that uh, Joe has said he's wanted to make ever since he was a kid. He always had this vision of a modern kids versus evil kind of take on the spin for what the Arthurian legend could be. Yeah. Well, I, I you know, Adam, I, I uh, was looking forward to this film as well because um, I came to Attack of the Block because John Boyega, mm-hmm. who was in the Star Wars film, um, starred in that. And when I heard he was announced to star in it, I went back and I found Attack the Block and found a nice, cute, lovable little, um, you know, 80s, had an 80s feel, you know, before uh, Stranger Things had come out and all this other stuff. It kind of had that throwback, kids versus the aliens that are invading. Um, and I really, really took to that film and liked it a lot. And so um, I remember seeing the preview last year, uh, saw the previews for it, and I remember thinking, oh, that looks kind of good for a kid's film, you know? And so um, there are some things I really like about The Kid Who Would Be King. And then there's some, I think there's some some holes in the film as well, too, that I, that I wasn't okay. so crazy about, to be honest with you. Um, I do like the story as a whole. Um, you know, no, it is the Arthurian story. It is generations later. In a in a in in England, there's a, a city in England, and, and they find a this young boy finds a sword in a, like I guess it's a d- construction site where they're tearing down a building, and in some concrete, there's a sword. You know the story. Pulls it out, and um, uh, he gathers with his uh, some friends who were his adversaries. They become his his knights, and you know they're off to battle. Um, uh, Morgana and her, her, she's reborn with all of her special effects baddies that pop up out of the ground. Her army of the dead. Her army of the dead. That's a good way to say it. And so um, I liked it. I thought it was a good story. I thought the action was good. I thought it was for all of the creatures being, none of them being practical effects that I could tell. It seemed like they were all special effects, you know. It wasn't bad. But we live in a day, and this probably was just a budgetary restraint, but we live in a day where practical effects are so great with special effects just kind of enhancing them. You can really tell when it's just all special effects, you know? So that's one of the holes that I have in the film. But I like the story. Um, I I liked it a lot. I I think that um, middle schoolers and those that age group uh, will really connect with this film. It's, It's got... Just enough of an edge to it, and enough of um, danger and elements of danger that it's not too kiddy. I think you know. Uh, what did you think of uh, the kid who would be king? Overall, I liked it. I, what Joe Cornish has done with these two movies is give us smart kids, right? That feel like a group of kids. They are making decisions without adults around. And Merlin comes in as an, a young kid. As if you're aware of Merlin, he actually ages in reverse. So as he gets older, he gets younger. Merlin is there as a protector and a little bit of a guide, but he's not the answer. No. These kids have to come up with everything on their own. 
Which I really like. Go on their own quest. And I thought this was a nice twist on the Arthurian legend of, of Arthur uniting his enemies with yeah. the bullies and bringing them in and, and showing them they don't have to be these people. They can be better. We can all be better. That was kind of the the message. And, and the final battle scene is a lot of fun. A lot of fun. I mean, With the kids coming together in the <clears throat> armor and defending the school. Who hasn't ever thought about zombie apocalypse or invasion of the undead or whatever? The school would be the perfect place to defend, you know. And so... Yeah, that part of it was really, really good. And I thought the some of the performances I thought were really good. Um, I really liked um, Betters, Lance, and Kay, the three cohorts that were mm -hmm. with uh, Alex. Um, uh, I thought they were great. I thought, uh, especially Lance, I thought he was very strong in the performance of Sir Lancelot. Um, Kind of coming, starting out as one type of character, and real a real evolution in him as a as a character. So, I was really sold on his performance. This Angus Emery, I loved him. This young Merlin, loved him. And I gotta say, I gotta say, I, I was looking for kids. You know, Merlin when he does his magic, does these intricate hand slapping, jiving gestures that are just crazy weird to look and at, and they're fun to watch. Fun to watch. No, none of this Akio wand and all this stuff. I mean, this is just like whipping out some serious magic. And, and so I loved what, and he just had the, the way he postured himself and the, he was just great. I, he was so good that when Patrick Stewart, sh Patrick Stewart showed up. It was a downgrade. It was a downgrade. Yeah, that's I saying something. I never would have thought that ever. I loved, I loved Angus Emery as young Merlin and I could see all I could see kids all over the country going to see this film and going home and slapping their hands all together, trying to imitate those moves, you know. Um, loved his character. I think for me, unfortunately, the thing that held the movie back from being just like great. Oh, it pains me to say this is the performance of Alex, the, the lead, lead. Yeah. the lead. Um, uh, Louis Circus, um, Andy Circus's son, you know. Um, and when it, when he was just playing like Arthur or, or Alex leading them as the king, he was fine as the leader, you know. But whenever there was any kind of an emotional pull yeah. on him, it just wasn't there, you know. If he had to try to feel like he was about to cry or, you know, the threat of danger, it just it was just wanting for me. I just, you know, and I think he's probably a great kid. He's just a young kid. He probably was only 12 or 13 when he made this anyway. Um, I just didn't, I don't know. I just, it just what maybe wasn't the right role for him. I, I don't know, but I just never no, bought I, him. I agree with you. And that's the frustrating part because he's almost pitch perfect in the scenes where he's trying to get the bullies to unite. Yes. He's talking to kids. Yes. He's, he's in the role. There's a disconnect when he's with his mother or has to deal with the backstory of his missing father. No kitten. No, no. Yeah. No connection or chemistry and that's, there. And that's just, it didn't quite work. Yeah. So, I mean, the role falls a little bit apart there. but And, and maybe we can pick on Joe Cornish because he's an adult. We'll pick on him. Yeah. Maybe he should have used him a little bit better and reworked that character to give him less of those emotionally. I mean, how much can we really expect from a 12, 13-year-old? You know? Look at the earlier Harry Potters. I mean, the kids grew into those yes. roles. Yes. So. You know. So I enjoyed this. I, I would love to see Joe Cornish do a second one of these, you know, and feature – Maybe feature Lancelot or feature, you know, somebody a little bit different. But uh, um, I really enjoyed this film. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, I, I think the um, 
Morgana was was okay, was good, not great as a villain because she's kind of never really there, you know. She has no arc. I mean, yeah. there's there's no development there. She just has to be a big bad. Yeah, but so, I mean, here's what I hope that comes out of these kind of movies: is one, it's a smart kids movie. It's not a cookie cutter young adult adventure with a love triangle and every element you can imagine is being forced in. It's a good story, well told. So what I hope is that you know it, it didn't. <clears throat> It didn't do great over here, box office wise. I don't know how it did over in the UK, but it's just young minds. I hope they see this kind of movie and it inspires filmmaking. Yeah, that you know, this is a fun adventure. I hope they get into it, and I I hope that you know this plants a seed down the road yeah. that we may get more filmmakers. Yeah, I agree totally with you about it being a smart film for kids. Um, kids act like they would normally act. They act like they would in the real world. You know. Um, and I chuckled two or three times because of that. When there's a big, yeah, I think it's even in one of the trailers now, there's a big call to arms and everybody just kind of looks at him like, nope, we're not going to do it, you know. Um, now, I, I will say this. I, I'm kind of going on this spoiler, trailer-free 2019. I'm doing my best to avoid trailers. Had not seen any trailers for this movie except for like six months ago, that little 50-second teaser, right? I went back after we saw this, and I watched the full-length trailer. Dude, very disappointing. They give the whole movie. Oh, yeah. The whole entire movie. If you want to know what this movie is about, you can learn the whole movie in two minutes on the kid. I mean, all the funny punchlines and was in the trailer. And so... I wonder if I would be lower on this movie if I had seen the trailers. I, I just I don't know. You know, you'd seen the trailers. Yeah, though. no, I was fine. I was I'm I was pleasantly happy with this movie. Yeah, I, I was too. I, I would I would give this probably three and a half, three three and a half, somewhere out of five stars for me. Um, and I, even as an adult, it's a very comfortable, easy sit. It's entertaining. Yes, it's going to hold your attention. You're not going to be checking your watch trying to figure out when this thing's going to end so you can move on to something else. Yeah, absolutely. So I would I would recommend. Uh, the kid who would be king. So, um, well, that's going to wrap it up for our two movies. I think we, I think we're going to do one more segment here, real quick, and we'll just call this rapid fire. And because we both have seen a ton of stuff in the theaters and on Netflix and Amazon Prime, and a bunch of movies have dropped and documentaries have dropped, all kinds of stuffs kind of hit, and we've been consuming a lot of this over the last week or two. So I thought we'll just do a quick rapid fire and give you just our initial thoughts. Yes, no, liked it, didn't like it, or, you know, what our impressions are of what we've been watching, Adam, okay? Yeah, sounds good. All right, we're going to be right back. This is the Film Coterie Podcast. Check out the music. And we're back, and this is our rapid-fire segment. Adam, we have several movies, you a few more than me, that we've been seeing either in the theater or on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime. Because an interesting phenomenon, Amazon Prime and 
uh, Netflix are really hitting in the, you know, both the academies and the award buzz, but also they're playing in theaters now, too, you know. So this kind of, it's not like we're cheating by going to Netflix and Amazon Prime. Believe me, Netflix would have done a great disservice to Roma by keeping it streaming only. That's for sure. So anyway, let's go ahead and hit the rapid fire. We're going to get started. Um, I'll go and then you go and we've got... I'll mention a film, make a comment, um, and uh, give myself about 10 to 15 seconds to make a quick comment. You can rebuttal and do your do a film as well, okay? All right. All right. My first film is Glass, the uh, third film in the M. Night Shyamalan trilogy. Um, bad. Yeah, it's not a good conclusion. Not a good conclusion. Did not enjoy it. Um, Head scratcher, and and this is a movie you just can't tug at the strings at all because nothing will make sense if you really think about anything in this universe. Yes, and the production value shows, even though it's doing well box office, it's doing pretty good. But not a fan of Glass. I would not recommend. Should have been a victory lap, but this is like a two thirds of the way through, just major trip up and didn't finish the race kind yeah. of deal. Okay, your turn, Adam. Uh, I checked out both fire documentaries, so Fire Fraud and Fire. Uh, Fire is on Netflix. I think it's the superior one. Uh, Fire Fraud is on Hulu. I might have these backed up. I'll just refer to them as Netflix and Hulu. Netflix one takes a broader look from inside the organization showing you what went wrong. The one on Hulu focuses more on the influencer experience. Fine to watch them both, but I I did prefer the Netflix one. Fire spelled F-Y-R-E, and I haven't seen either one of those. Um, Probably we'll catch them at some point just because of how controversial they are. I have been told, though, that it is a very sad look into the state of humanity. True. Okay. Uh, My next film is Roma, and we covered Roma in our Best of 2018 episode, but I got to see Roma in glorious 70 millimeter at our local Gateway Film Center movie theater. It was a wonderful experience. Um, I did have to, I did walk out during one specific scene of the movie, which I will not disclose because it's just too heart-wrenching for me to watch, but I timed it well and took a little bathroom trip, came back, and I love the end. Toward the end of this film, there is a beach scene with some waves. Um, I've seen the movie for the first time on my 4K, you know, high-def TV. Uh, looked a little better on my high-def TV, I will say, but the sound in the theater was unbelievable in the beach scene. Cannot recommend Roma enough. If you only watch one foreign language film from 2018, make it Roma. Oh, why do you have to watch only one? Because I'm going to jump into another one, Shoplifters <laughs> from Japan. Phenomenal. I had the chance to check this out. I didn't see it in the best screening environment. It was packed, no stadium seating, so some of the subtitles were cut off by people's heads. And I still love the movie. It's a very interesting look at family, but a, a broad sense of that word in Japan as they take in a, another daughter that, that's not theirs. So highly recommend Shoplifters. I imagine it's going to hit VOD soon. It's up for Best Foreign Picture at the Oscars. Awesome. My next film is Bumblebee, and it's a Transformers origin story, right? An origin film. No, I was up on this movie the whole way through. I'm and I was you, down the whole time. From the trailers, I'm saying it's Travis Knight. It'll be better than the rest. And it is. And I'm thumbs up. And I recommend you go see Bumblebee. See it in the theater. It's worth seeing on a big screen. Adam, do you have one? Yeah, I'll stick with the foreign movies. I saw Cold War. Um, Polish film, also up for Best Foreign Picture. Just flat out amazing. Beautiful black and white cinematography. And it just follows a tragic romance through the Cold War on the eastern side of the wall. 
All right, my next film is They Shall Not Grow Old, the documentary about World War War I or the Great War by Peter Jackson, uh, commissioned by the... um, um, by 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 the British um, Film Institute. Yeah, Film Institute. Thank you, Adam. The British Film Institute. I have to say that my screening experience was terrible because it was in 3D. But the times where uh, this is where he 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 changes all that you know all that World War One footage is real choppy and all that is smoothed out. It's colorized. Um, the times where I was able to get a good look because of the 3D, it's beautiful. Um, I, I have to say that the documentary style was middle of the road for me. A lot of common, t- just like guys sharing their story interlaced with clips. Let me jump in here too because I saw it with you. It feels like a museum piece. Like when you walk into an art museum, you might see a video installation and where there's sound and audio and just on a loop. There's no narrative throughput on exactly. this one. It's it's an experience and the, the technology behind it is fascinating and amazing. I just don't, it doesn't really have some of the other strengths that a normal documentary about World War One would have. Definitely worth checking out at home, non-3D. The footage will blow you away once it transitions from the black and white to the full color, yes. smoothed out. Cannot wait to get this on uh, on the Apple TV and show the family. Uh, yeah, I think they're going to love it. Adam, you have a film? Uh, Old Man and the Gun. Robert Redford in his self-proclaimed final performance. We'll see if that's true. Just feels like a classic movie. Um, I liked it all the way through. I probably had a dumb smile on my face. Slow moving, but very pleasant. He's as charming as ever. And I just recommend anyone check it out if you've ever liked Robert Redford. All right. I have three more films real quick I want to mention. My next one is a Netflix original or purchased by Netflix. It's kind of gray area there. But anyway, it's the uh, futuristic I.O. And it's, it stars a young girl who her and her dad, um, the earth has went cancerously poisonous. And society has left for the most part. One ship left to leave. And this girl and her father were working on trying to um, produce life and keep life flowing in an atmosphere that is mostly not- nitrogen instead of oxygen. Um, I-, I-, I was with this film for the first three quarters of it. Uh, and it gets kind of hokey at the end and really, um, yeah, kind of meh, to be honest with you. Um, but you know, if you're bored, have nothing to do and you like that genre, sci-fi, futuristic post, the world has been destroyed and people have left. Um, yeah, you might want to check it out, but first three quarters, great. Last quarter, pretty rough. Okay. Uh, Velvet Buzzsaw. This is also new on Netflix as of last Friday. Dan Gilroy directed, wrote it. Jake Gyllenhaal's returning. They're reteaming up since Nightcrawler. I thought this was a big miss. I love Nightcrawler, had high hopes for this one. It's two different films that just don't fit together. One is a sort of satire on modern art, and the other is a supernatural slasher, and it's just, it's a real mess, and a complete misfire, in my my opinion. My next film is also a Netflix original, Polar, with Mads Mikkelsen, uh, who plays a John Wick wannabe. I do not recommend this movie. Not at all. And what is funny is I had it about two, two and a half stars because, you know, there's some decent performances by Mads Mikkelsen during this film. But I, 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 I begin a conversation with my good friend, Adam, who starts to pick it apart. And by the time he was done talking about it, I dropped it a whole star to one and a half. So I describe the movie as a bastard child between John Wick, shoot him up, 
Smoke and Aces and maybe Hotel Artemis. Yep. He's a super serious character in the movie, and the rest of the world around him is just literally Looney Tunes. You have villains and cartoon outfits. The tone is all over the place, and it's it doesn't pick up at all till the very end, and even then it's just not very good. So even though it's free on Netflix, I'm, I'm going to say pass. I'm going to say pass, too. My last film, and I think you still probably have a couple more, is First Man. And I got to say, I was really looking forward to seeing this. Um, did not get a chance to catch it in the theater. Had to end up watching it here at the house, but still on a big screen and high def and surround sound the whole nine yards. A little disappointed, got to be honest with you. It, the pace was just not for me and hardly any narrative whatsoever in the story. Um, so I, I got to give First Man a pass. I was not a fan. Yeah, I wasn't a fan either. This is the first time I've really been disappointed in Damien Chazelle. It was lifeless and aimless. I mean, the movie just kind of floats by, and it doesn't really anchor onto anything. And uh. Best Damien Chazelle movie so far, in your opinion? Well, I like Whiplash. Whiplash for me, too. Well, I like La La Land, too. I was positive on that. So. I, I like La La Land, but I love Whiplash. Yeah. Anything that's it for me as far as rapid fire. I'll, what I'll else, just do Adam? two more quick ones. Stan and Ollie, uh, I was a big fan of it between John C. Riley and Steve Coogan. Want to see that? It's very their much. final tour, and it, it puts a very good stamp on their career and seeing where they ended up. And then, last one I have is the standoff at Sparrow Creek. This is now on streaming and on VOD. This is a very well done contained story. It's all one location, it's a militia coming together. One of them has attacked a cop, and the cops are coming for them. And they don't know who did it. So it's all this interrogation. Who's who's setting us up? Did this really happen? There's lots of good questions. And it's just well-executed, single-location story. Awesome. Well, that's going to do it for Rapid Fire. And uh, I think we'll just go ahead and wrap up the podcast here. Um, Adam, what do we have to be looking forward to in the next couple of weeks? You know, anything anything coming up next couple of weeks film-wise? I'll say this locally, Horror 101 is about to kick off on yes. Valentine's Day at Gateway Film Center. It kicks off with Candyman, and it's going to go for the whole year, 101 of the most influential and best horror movies. Awesome. Uh, if somebody wants to reach out and connect to us on the Film Coterie, how do they find us, Adam? Facebook's always the best spot. We're on there, facebook.com backslash Film Coterie. We're also on Twitter and Instagram with the same handle, at Film Coterie. All right, that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. You guys have a great one and get to the movies.